Hey everybody, C-Note here, and welcome to Dopamine, the show that is like picking your favorite pastry. It is all about the filling. Today on the show, I am in the noisiest place possible, which happens to be a bakery, which is why I made that joke. I'm picking up Molly from work, but I uh, don't have time to do this anywhere else, so this is where I'm doing it. Today on the show, I have my friend David Gilks with me. We are talking all about the personal development journey and really embracing the process of developing as a person from both a mental and a physical perspective. And uh, we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. He talks about his IM project. Um, and there'll be links in the description to all of his stuff. Uh, so without further ado, so you don't have to deal with all the noise anymore, let's kick it off and get started on dopamine. Let's go. Drums, all right everyone welcome to the show i've got a friend with me here uh david gilks welcome to the show hey thank you kristen appreciate it yeah so i'm really excited for you to be here uh i know you do a lot of stuff with fitness and mental health uh and and mental remapping essentially in a way but uh if you want to explain a little bit about what that is your story a little bit and and tell us uh what you do yeah well it's um yeah it uh, it wasn't my uh my original career um i worked in the uh uh they really call the hospitality industry which uh basically meant i uh drank away too much and um <laughs> This like really kind of a really hazardous lifestyle for a long period of time up until about um, 28, 29. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it's uh, it was such an interesting thing. I've been in the, the health and fitness industry for about 23 years now, maybe maybe even a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. And it was so fat, it's very fascinating to see just how different each lifestyle was. It couldn't be as uh, completely polar opposite. <clears throat> um, mm-hmm. I had, uh, I had actually, I started smoking tobacco and, uh, and marijuana at the age of um, eight to 13. I was in grade eight, I think. And um, so I have you know, a very, very chaotic, uh, very chaotic um, upbringing. But um, what was interesting when I was, uh, I was living in the south of Portugal, of all places, um, at, the age of, uh, at the age of 28. And I had this uh, kind of a, a moment of sobriety, as it were, when I woke up, you know, and, and realized that, you know, I could drop dead tomorrow. Nobody would know. And, uh, and nobody would care because I was so far off the grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it kind of drove me to uh, think about, well, what, am I, what next? And um, so I ended up coming back to North America, came back to Canada, <clears throat> and worked with, my, worked with my father who had a natural health center. And I started an internship as a, uh, as a uh, biokinesiologist and a chartered herbalist, um, you know, in my uh, late, late 20s. And... Um, and kind of, and that was the beginning of a well of a now two decade career. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just uh, you know, and, and I left that got into the fitness industry. Fitness uh, was fascinating to me. A lot of my childhood heroes were uh, DC comic heroes. You know, uh, big big muscly people running around in spandex and capes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it just, um, but I, I got in the fitness industry in various aspects, and uh, it's, it's an area that I really thrived in. I found, uh, kind of found my niche in an area and expertise that I, I really grow into, but I became more fascinated, um, uh, more fascinated by the mental part, because I found the physical part uh, was actually relatively simple. There's this, uh, there's some pretty, you know, there, there's some pretty hard and fast rules when it comes to, uh, to changing one's health, but uh 
but the mind that was uh, that was always the conundrum, right? That was the, always the part that stopped people from achieving anything they wanted to do with within their own state of health. Right. Yeah, that becomes a, a challenge. We talk about uh, I talk about uh, the neuroses that a lot of people experience, the, the non mental illness types of people, I suppose you could say the, the quote unquote normal, the, ter- the neurotypical still have a, a ton of challenges with even wanting to motivate themselves. And, and, and I think even the term motivation is sometimes misleading for a lot of people. You almost have to, uh, and you can tell me if this is right or wrong, but I feel like you have to stop finding ways to negotiate with yourself and, and set yourself with some, some almost uh, brain rewiring or, or hard and fast rules to get yourself going. Yeah, well, well, I think there has to be a um, there has to be a bigger standard. Uh, Tony Robbins talks about this a lot. You know, uh-huh. you know, you, know it's, you need to set a higher standard for yourself. And in North American culture, it's uh, <clears throat> it's interesting because it's we're um, you know we, we see that we're uh, we're still looking for that magic pill. Even when it comes to personal development, we're looking for that magic book. Right. right? You know, when it comes to diet, we're looking for the magic diet. We're looking for that magic workout. Mm-hmm. And and what I what I seem to have um, you know, what I think I'm observing in all of this, all these conversations is that what's not being talked about. Uh, so let's say I author a book, right? So 23 years into my, into my journey, I author a book about the three principles that, that, uh, you know, that made me the man I am today. Right. So this is, this is going to be the, the pitch. Right. But the problem is though, those three uh, uh, principles took me two decades of grinding it out, failures, frustrations, wanting to put my head through a wall, uh, you know, from time to time to finally, to finally eke it out. And, and I think it's just, we, we still need the journey. Like, you know, the, the journey is, you know, the, the journey really is an important piece of it. Um, but I think a lot of the literature that's out there really doesn't really emphasize that much. You know, like, you know, if you, if you called me up and said, and said, you know, you know, Dave, I want to get in really great shape. I said, listen, you know, if you got two years, I can change your life. And you're going two years. I mean, I, 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 I I got to be on a boat in about six weeks and I got to look amazing in a tux. <laughs> and people don't want to hear that. But the reality is, is that, you know, any lifestyle, any, anything that's worthwhile, it takes time and it, it doesn't take forever, but it doesn't take six weeks either. Right. And it's sort of uh, when, when I hear that, I, I think of the difference between self-awareness and personal development. Because I feel like that's something that a lot of people experience. Like when they go through and they read a book like that, they read something by, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk or Seth Godin or Tony Robbins or something like that. They read this, like you said, waiting for that aha moment, but then they, they become sort of somewhat self-aware that there's something they need to fix or even before reading it, they're like, I need to fix something. But that, that knowledge that they need to do the work is typically the hardest thing to get through. Like it's almost like, uh, I think of strangely to kind of bring it into the comic book thing. There was a, uh, my girlfriend and I were rewatching the X-Men movies and there was this line that professor X said to Logan that sometimes the brain needs to figure it out for itself. Right. And like, as like, no matter what kind of, uh, uh, training you do for yourself or with someone else like uh, as part of that growth like eventually the brain has to find its aha moment through that development i think like you sort of glossed over that in your story a little bit where you said you had this kind of aha moment when you were 28 or 29 and like i i think even that is just of course that's not accurate right it's not it's like the moment is a culmination of so many things that have led up to that moment and for for 
what you do, it sounds like you're really trying to extrapolate all that for someone to say like, this really needs to take time. And that is a, a deliberate part of your process. So I, I'm, I'm certainly curious about like, how that would work with you either in you can describe either the physical or the mental side of it like what what is that process of someone working with you and what what do you tend to to focus on when it comes to sort of stretching that out to as long as it needs to be well fascinatingly enough it just uh you know when i i I, when i got into the uh uh, the mental mental health coaching part of it uh, it really came from actually working with physical injuries was where i had my kind of epiphany as it were Mm -hmm. uh because it's um you know, I, 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 I had to believe that, you know, if there was a, an intelligent process that made all this stuff happen, everything we see around us, there had mm-hmm. to be a pattern. There had to be something in there because nature always has a, there's beautiful patterns there if we can find them. So I think we just made it so complicated uh, and, we're so, and so schizophrenic out there that we just have a hard time. Um, we had a hard time focusing on anything. So when I, when I, when I was working, um, with clients, so I would work with clients that have a brand new knee replacement or a new hip replacement mm-hmm. or an ACL reconstruction. So when somebody has an injury to the body, so let's say you twisted your knee, you torqued your knee, and you had to get your, AC, your, uh, your ligament and your knee repaired. So you know you're probably going to have six to eight months of hobbling around on that knee. <clears throat> so so there, there's a, you know there's the, the memory of the pain. So I, you know I stepped, I twisted, I blew my knee out. So that didn't feel good. So I have a huge I have a, a big memory spike about that. Right, it's a trauma. Um, then I have six to eight months of uh, not putting weight on it, waiting for surgery. Right, mm-hmm. so I'm, you know ice and that every, I wake up every night because every, every time I turn I get a jolt of pain that uh, wakes me up out of my sleep. So I have six to eight months of lousy sleep and pain on the knee. <clears throat> I finally get the surgery, and now the knee is actually better than it ever was before. But I still have a hard time putting weight on it, and, and I still have this issue of, uh, you know, now my back's starting to bother me because of this knee. Right. So what we looked at is that, okay, they clean the knee up, and most therapies look at the level of the joint, but they look at, at the level of the joint uh, as independent of the rest of the body. Right. But we know that's not true because the rest of the body is actually taking the weight off that leg during the time of the, of the, uh, of the injury. So, right. so there's something that's created was, uh, there's something that's created in the mind. It's called a neural map. And basically it's just a memory, right? It's just a series of, uh, of, uh, ideas around that knee and it's painful and I don't want to put weight on it. And I remember how uncomfortable that felt. And every time I go to stand up, I want to put weight on the other leg preferentially because I have memory of the pain. And even though the pain will not show up again, we have this apprehension sign in our mind about that knee. So, so that, and then some people will graduate through it easily. I mean, it's the wiring is different from person to person. But what, but what I started doing instead, I said, well, if that knee has been injured and the memory of the injury is not going away, though the injury is no longer occurring, mm-hmm. uh, let's go inside the mind and see, see if we can actually remap this. So <clears throat> what I started doing was going through and said, listen, um, in order to really stabilize that knee, we need to find your core. So we need the knee and your core to start communicating so we actually have this, uh, set this brand new pattern. So we'd spend about two weeks doing core work. So we'd make sure that the buttock muscles uh, uh, were active. We'd make sure that the internal core muscles are active. We worked on flexibility. We really worked on stabilizing them and really delineating what their core was made them consciously aware of it. So they, so it became a cognitive thing. So we'd show them pictures of the core. This is what it's for. We explain it. And then they would have to do these series of really simple exercises, three to four exercises twice a day, every day 
<clears throat> until we hit about 5,000 repetitions. Mm -hmm. yeah, it, good. Yeah, good. so it, it takes time, right? It takes repetition. <clears throat> so it's, it's, like, it's like a mantra for the knee is what we were trying to do. <laughs> so what was yeah. interesting is, though, is that when I, after we, finished, after we did all this core work, it became a very conscious thing, and mindfulness is something that you said before, so very mindfulness, uh, mindfulness and awareness of uh, what, was act, what we were trying to accomplish. I, before we actually start putting a lot, aggressively working on that knee, we turn all those core muscles on, we get them to think about it, we get them to feel it, we get them to turn it on, so they light up this whole thing inside their mind. And then from that space, we'd have them start working on the knee. And what, what they discovered is that the apprehension wasn't there. Uh, the strength actually moved much more rapidly because we actually, we redeveloped, we, re, we reintegrated that knee back into the core, back into the whole beautiful system of the body. Mm -hmm. The injuries set it apart, right? The map had changed. So with every injury that came in, in fact, with every client, before we did anything with anyone, whether they wanted just to lose weight or they want to learn how to run, we would actually spend, uh, you know, sometimes up to, up to a month or a month and a half just doing core work. Because if the core was active, we could pretty much do anything else. Mm -hmm. if the core was inactive and weak, everything we tried would have a short shelf life because as soon as we got going, the wheels would fall off, the knee would hurt, the shoulder would hurt, they'd pull a hamstring. But it, so we said, okay, well, if the core is the most important part of it, mm -hmm. Let's look at our psychology and what is missing in North American culture generally in mass. And it's kind of a very broad, you know, a very broad assessment, but you know, right. we, we, we don't have a core identity. Um, you know, uh, I, I spent three months in Nicaragua last year with my son and I remember sitting in this old, uh, this old Catholic church and, and uh, I'd sit there. I, I, I went in there to meditate. I figured it was a good place to be some good energy in there. Mm -hmm. And, I'd watch people come up to these various altars. There'd be numerous altars inside the church. And, and you know, people would be there for, you know, 15 minutes just for a quick, short uh, communion. Or they'd be, you know, some people, there'd be 45 minutes, and they're just, they're bawling, they're pouring their hearts out. And, and I was watching them going, you know, how, you know, how, um, how fortunate are they to have such a belief in something that is so grounding for mm -hmm. them that, uh, that, that, I mean, that's therapy for them. Right. You know, they walk in, they got, they have therapy, they have a belief system They're, They know who they are. They know what they believe and they build a life around this belief system. Right. And, you know, I just take a, a quick flight back to North America and that's what I don't see. I don't see, it's not about religion, but it's really about having a really a, a core identity. So these are Nicaraguans, they're Spanish, they're, uh, they, they're Catholic and their whole world is built around this core identity. And, and, and that part, when I look, when I look at um, helping people uh, move forward, uh, you know, and inside of the mental health coaching part of it, we really need, I really try to get them to determine who do you need to be daily uh, to, to have the life that you want. And we spend time developing that before we look at goals. And we certainly look at that before we look at any problems that they think they're encountering. We don't deal with the problems first. We deal with, we need to extract the best part of you. We need to extract your core identity and really make that really strong before you can do anything. Yeah, that's, that's incredibly amazing because that, that is so on point with the idea with, uh, especially in, re in relation to uh, North America, having essentially sort of a, a group of individuals. You know, we're all trying to kind of come up with our own identity or or we've got groups of people trying to force other people into ways of thinking or being or something like that, not to make it any kind of like that kind of discussion, but it's all about um, there's just that natural disparity with 
with the way that we've been brought up. And it, I know it's been a challenge for me as an individual to feel like I have a place and that I can connect to people. And really having this podcast has been a lot of that for me. This has been my mental health therapy. This is for me to not only share my story, for people like you to share your story, to let people know that they're not alone, that there are think, new ways of thinking about things. And essentially that knowledge of of even realizing that, hey, okay, this is a direction I can go in. This is a place that I can start in. Like in most, it sounds like not even in, in just the fitness space, but like, or, or health uh, or injuries, but in any context, if you just stop, you slow down, you find a way to reconfigure yourself, find a way to find what your core identity is, find a sense of, of, um, find or create. I don't want to just say find, finding yourself. <laughs> Some people can go to the hills of the Himalayas and find themselves and come back. Others need to do hard work in other places. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's, 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 that is what gives us this, this new direction, you know, and it seems like you found that personally around 28, 29 and started to head in that direction. What was probably the early years or, or what were the early years of you heading in that direction like for you personally um, as you were starting to make this shift? Because I know that a lot of us, when we're dealing with major life changes, we feel like we're dealing with uh, some semblance of, of, of personal mental relapse sometimes in those spaces. Like, what, what would you say that that journey was like for you as you started doing that? Well, um, it was, it was actually, uh, it was pretty isolating because it's, um, you know, everything, um, you know, everybody and everything that I knew, I actually had to leave behind, right. you know, it's, it's like a, like being a, a it's like being a lifestyle refugee, right. right. <laughs> I, had, I had to pick up my stuff and head for the border because I, I, the environment that I had, I was brought up in the environment that I had, uh, inadvertently chosen to live in, chose to live in was, uh, was just incredibly destructive. So, right. Um, yeah, so it was, it was pretty isolating. Um, I think I spent three and a half years really with no peer group. I actually moved into my parents, uh, parents' house, which was again, a little bit more demoralizing, you know, into the age of 30 living with you, having to live with your folks, but, mm -hmm. but it was a reality. It just, uh, I, you know, I had a grade 10 education. I had no money. I was so far off the grid that I, I couldn't even get a bank account. I went on welfare, mm -hmm. uh, for the first time, you know, and, and it was just, there was just a lot of, uh, a lot of shots to the Eagle right, right. as, um, as a, a male heading into his thirties when, you know, a lot of, a lot of people were already, were married, they had kids, they had careers and, mm -hmm. and I just, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, I'm just starting life. Right. So, um, but what was interesting though, is that it, it's because I had no other distractions. I think that was the benefit. Um, I, I didn't have, uh, a girlfriend. I didn't have things going on. I didn't have a lot of distractions, so I could really invest uh, to put a lot of time and energy into study. Right. Um, and I realized that you know, once I once the drugs and alcohol went away long enough, that <clears throat> actually I had an interesting mind. I could absorb material, and uh, because I took interest interest in it for one, but but I enjoyed reading, and I think I've read every day for the last twenty three years, like every single day. That's amazing. And uh, and when I and you know, of course, I realized that <clears throat> anything any problem that has ever existed somebody's already had that problem and is trying to figure it out right so you know there's, there's you know people leave but there's a trail of bread there's a trail of breadcrumbs um, that are out there for all of us who want to follow them the problem is you can't follow nine different trails right. or, or 30 different trails it's very confusing so 
<laughs> I, I gave a talk to a group of realtors recently and I asked people, I said, how many people are into, you know, personal development? And of course, most people raised their hand. Right. So how many people have um, more than one book on personal development? Everybody raised their hand. I said, how mm -hmm. many people have more, more than one book on the same topic? And then people slowly, sheepishly raised their hand. <laughs> he said, seriously, like if you just did what the first book told you to do and you studied it as a guide for your life, you'd be fine, right? You would, you would not be embarrassed. You wouldn't feel, uh, you know, sheepish. You would, your life would actually have, uh, you know, it would be a life of, um, you know, a life of measure. Like it would be exciting. You, if you actually just follow through. So, so that became a curiosity. And again, I've got, you know, you know, I, I, my, my house looks like a scene from the, uh, libra the library version of Hoarders. <laughs> I have freaking books everywhere, but, but it was the, um, but I think another important part is that it's just, you know, when part of this driver is that, uh, you know, depression, obesity, drug addiction, <clears throat> um, a lot of these things are, are kind of commonplace in my family, in my family mm -hmm. history. Mm -hmm. And my biological mother uh, drank all through her pregnancy. So, and so what we're thinking what happened is that um, for uh, all of us kids, and there's, there's 11 of us, there's some half siblings, but there's 11 of us in the brood. And, and not many of us, uh, I don't think any of us actually have the ability to make our brain feel good, mm -hmm. right? So the, the tendency for, for addictions, the tendency for depression, the tendency for workaholism, anything that, that gives us that dopamine push, that gives us that sense of, uh, you know, uh, that good feeling. And we just can't, you know, seemingly we just can't feel good naturally. So I, I became kind of fascinated by, well, how do you fix that? So exercise became my drug of choice, I think. I think I just switched one for the other. Mm -hmm. Then I learned I had to kind of reality with that was, I was just switching one high for another. So I had to figure that part out. Right. Um, because otherwise, and, and we see this in uh, so many people, we see this in, in bodybuilders, we see this in, uh, I see this in the runners quite a bit. Mm -hmm. where it, it, <clears throat> They can't run for a week. You don't want to be anywhere around them because um, they're just miserable. Right. So, uh, you know, it's a sign of withdrawal, right? A sign of addiction. So mm -hmm. even, even healthy choices can be addictive. Right. right. You know, so, yeah, going for a run is better than, uh, you know, uh, lighting up a, a you know, bowl full of uh, heroin. But, um, you know, both will kill you over time. And so I, so I had that, that, that awareness, okay, this is, could be a problem as well. So I started, uh, you know, I started looking for different avenues, uh, meditation. And, and even to this day, I still, I still, ha I still have a practice. I have a daily practice of centering myself. I have a daily practice of, of mindfulness, of a daily meditation practice. And, and I don't go too many days without, um, without actually having something like that as a part of my daily routine because it's, mm -hmm. because it's just, you know, every day presents its own challenges. And, and, I, and, you know, and I, I remember watching my grandmother. <clears throat> she had this little King James Bible. And I don't know how she read it because it was so tiny. Um, but she would read it every morning, and uh, and her 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 explanation for doing it was it, it just gave her uh, it gave her uh, her mental thought mental food for the day. Mm -hmm. and this is what she would go through her day on. Right, that was her that was her mental breakfast, and then that became the 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 uh, centering thought process for her throughout the rest of her day. And when you look at religious practices, it's a daily event. It used to be a daily event, right? right, daily, right. daily communion, daily meditation, and you know, and whatever goal that you have. And I find for myself, I need a, a constant reminder of what's the plot, because it's pretty chaotic out there for for most of us. And if I don't, you know, I, I could take out, you know, if I if I spend um, 
I allow myself too many days of not spending the time to sit down and set to myself, whether it's in gratitude, whether it's in prayer, whether it's in meditation, whether it's mm-hmm. in, in reading something specific to my current trajectory. It's not too, not too long before I feel a bit, uh, a bit unsettled. Yeah, that, that's, um, that's something that I'm personally working with. with uh, I, I think about a lot of therapeutic techniques around um, really any kind of mental illness. There's, there are many suggestions to just kind of get your circadian rhythm in order sometimes, right? We get into a habit, uh, especially around that 20, 29 year old uh, spot is like where that starts to naturally change a little bit. You spend a lot of time throughout your teens and early twenties, like some people are up late and, and all hours of the night and you find that your body requires more discipline over time. And uh, especially if you're dealing with the potential addictions and um, all sorts of mental health issues that eventually you have to get yourself to a place where you're, getting into a good rhythm. And like you're saying, doing a lot of grounding techniques, which gratitude, my girlfriend and I, we have a, uh, a post-it wall, <laughs> which is like multicolored post-its. And every night we post something that we're grateful for, uh, something that we've done today that we're very proud of. And uh, that kind of gets us into a good place before bed. And we do this, something similar in the morning. And uh, she has a lot more grounding techniques than I do. For me, this podcast is kind of one of my personal grounding techniques. And uh, just talking about what's going on in my life and uh, sharing that with people. So, you know, it, that's going to look different for, for different people, of course. And uh, I appreciate that you're willing to share yours because um, I think I want to, first of all, commend you for taking that brave step of actually making that change. Because I think a lot of people avoid making that change or taking that first book that they read seriously, because there's a lot of fear associated with actual development again like saying the difference between self-awareness versus actual development because it's like walking into that scary darkness there's this unknown of like again if i develop then i'm going to lose a lot of people i went through that twice i moved across the country twice i uh, when i was 25 i left uh, i was i'm born and raised from philadelphia lived there for 25 years and then um I had sort of a toxic upbringing and things were just not going well. So I moved across the country, lived in San Diego, and then I got a divorce and that didn't go well either. And then I moved again and uh, have had to go through these mindset shifts and these mental health shifts and, and, and so much that has been scary to go through a lot of these changes. But at the end of the day, if you're continuing to develop, you're continuing to grow, you're going to get yourself to a good place. Um, so that was just kind of a supplement to what you were saying. But uh, in my notes here, you, you have a, there's mention of the, the I am project, which is also built around um, a think, feel, do process of neural feedback. You want to talk a little bit about that real quick? Yeah, it's just, uh, well, it's the, it, again, this was uh, the idea that had, had come from actually doing the physical rehab part. And what, um, what I realized is that it's just, um, or what I thought I had realized, again, it's all subjective. It's just, just because I thought it doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> uh, but what I thought I had realized, what I had, had discovered is the fact that, you know, if we don't actually take time to develop our core identity and don't, and don't really decide powerfully what that is, mm-hmm. and use it as, as the, grounding, uh, uh, the grounding place to make all our decisions. Right. So, you know, you know, we look at, uh, you know, there used to be a little adage, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, which is no longer true because cell phones, what happens in Vegas is online in about eight seconds. <laughs> but, but it was that idea of that incongruency and, and that guilt that comes along with being incongruent. Um, so the IAM project, part of it was, uh, it was based in, uh, of course, part of it was based in um, 
uh, neurofeedback and just how the body responds to incoming information. Um, I, I became a master trainer through neurolinguistic programming. I started studying cognitive behavior, behavioral um, counseling, and I just and more for my own sake. I was curious for my own sake uh, about how this stuff worked. But what the IM project, uh, what we had found is that <clears throat> that making decisions inside your head is actually challenging <clears throat> because all all the crazy stuff is in there too. Right. So uh, so every every. Every good thought, every bad thought, every injury, every misgiving, every sense of guilt, all those conversations are still stored in, in your mind. So uh, there's a, I don't know if you ever read this book, uh, Power Versus Force by David Hawking. I have not, but I will write it down. It's, uh, it's, it's a big read, but he's, uh, it was an extraordinary book. And, and, and what really, what was really fascinating about it is that it, it paralleled a book on, on, uh, on physiology that I first studied uh, many years ago. And, and basically he was saying that, you know, the, the, the one problem that he said man's uh, dilemma has been will always continue to be is that he believes his own mental artifacts to be reality. So what he's saying is that our problem is that we, we actually believe what goes through our mind is true all the time. Right. And it's not. It's just the brain is sifting and sorting, sifting and sorting information. Mm-hmm. So, so, if, if, so if you said something about, um, you know, about uh, – about depression or addiction, right? And I wasn't, I wasn't forth, I wasn't being honest with myself about my background and, and I had this tendency, you know, I, I can, you know, I can slip into the, these patterns if I'm not, if I'm not, you know, be mindful about it. Mm-hmm. You said something, my brain would take what the words that you said and it, it would translate them and try to associate to something that I already believe I know. Right. So it's not, so the meanings that we're taking from the world around us are being, are being matched against our history. Which can be a problem because when it doesn't matter what we see, what we hear, what we feel, mm-hmm. how we respond to it is it will either be uh, through our subconscious, uh, through our sub- uh, subconscious reaction. So the brain's just going to say, "Well, Kristen, you didn't say what you want, how you want it to uh, be in the world." So we're just going to we're, we're going to guess. So we're hearing this information, and we're going to take all those words and we're going to match them against where you may have heard that before. Right. And we're going to bring that memory up, but more importantly, we're going to bring up the emotional context of that memory. And we're going to make you feel that way when you hear those words. So, so you know, and if you hear the expression of that was so unlike her, that's totally uncharacteristic of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe so in the current context of who they are, but certainly very characteristic and very like them when they were 12. Right. Very, very like them when they were 17. So I think if uh, the IM project basically basically stipulates is that if I don't know the emotions that I want to live in, if I'm not aware of the character that I suggest that I am, um, and I don't know what that feels like, I don't have a really strong reference for it, then anything that shows up is simply going to be uh, um, uh, evoking different parts of my history and I have no control over it. Right. Because the brain, that's all the brain does. It takes in all this raw data, what we see, what we hear, what we feel, what we taste, what we smell. It's all just raw data. It has zero meaning until it comes inside of our body and, it, and it's associated to something that we've already experienced. Yeah. So, and because we're, because we're not really aware of that and, and we don't spend enough time being aware of that, that it's just, you know, it's not what you said, it's what I thought I heard. I, I need, if I'm not grounded... And, and I don't know where those blind spots are. We call them uh, perceptual blind spots. 
uh, I don't know where those blind spots are around my self-image, right? I don't, I didn't, I don't realize that the 12 year old inside my mind is still has a, has a, a strong voice and how I feel as a 52 year old male. And like how seriously screwed up is my life going to be with a 12 year old calling the shots about my self-worth. Right. Right. So, yeah. so the, the whole I am project, it's actually done outside of your head. It's, I, I put it on a board. So I call it my intuition board. And we, we look at in the very middle, and so again, the first part of it is deciding who you're going to be. This is the I am, not the I was, but this is the I am. Right. Uh, 53-year-old male, I, I have a degree of intelligence, I, I have uh, resources, um, you, know, uh, you know, this is how I want to show up, this is how I want to feel in my life day to day. And if anything that, that is evoked that is in contrast to what I said or how I said is going to show up, I don't have to buy into it, but I can observe it from the, my I am stance. Right. I don't, otherwise I'm just going to become it, whatever it is, right. Whatever feeling shows up, I'll become that. I'll become depressed. I'll become angry. I'll become, I'll become, um, insecure. Um, whatever they, I'll be, I'll become happy. And I don't know why right. it's just, it just shows up. But if I'm more mindful, and that's and the beautiful thing about mindfulness is that it kind of gives you a split screen in your brain. On one side, this is how, this is what I said I was going to be. This is my core identity. And all this other white noise here, I can decide whether or not I take it on or not. Right. But if you don't actually make that decision ahead of time, you know, work on that I am piece and decide on your character, on your strength, on your values, you're going to be showing up as different people in the different, different parts of your life. So around your career, that's going to evoke a different part of you around uh, your wellness, self-image. That's going to evoke a different part of your personality, your different set of your history historic psychology around spirituality that's going to evoke something different and uh, career um, contribution family um, you know it's all these different, all these different aspects of your life you'll be showing up as a different human being because each of these events will actually evoke a different part of you however if you decided how I'm going to be regardless Right. This is this is who I am. This is my values. This is what it feels like. This is what it means to me. And I powerfully declare that. And that's what I work on a daily basis is centering that. And everything that comes up, every every part of my life that comes up to me, I get to look at through that one perceptual filter. And so I start developing some congruency. So no matter where I go in my life, it's this it's the same set of values and culture that's determining or or setting the stage for that 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 event in my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. That I'm I'm just soaking it in. It's fantastic. <laughs> but, but the problem uh, is yeah. you can't do it in your head. Right. You right. And you have to you have to work it out. You know, I, I talk about it with um with with people all the time. I, I reference Myers Briggs uh learning quite right. a bit, uh Enneagram, all of that stuff. People go down that rabbit hole quite a bit. Um and I talk about the main core idea that uh, a lot of people can identify themselves as an ambivert and in relation to that, you know, the, the combination of an introvert or extrovert. And honestly, it's like being a human is figuring out the version of yourself that lives within both of those worlds, right? Figuring out um, not only through the lens of Myers-Briggs, but who, you know, the context of your life, the complexities of your life, et cetera, like getting outside of your head, getting those ideas onto paper and realizing that you still have to work through things like just because you, you know, I'm an INTP in the Myers-Briggs system for those that can follow that. I'm an introverted thinker. And that means that thinking and being in my head is my most natural state of being. But even that means that my sense of thinking, my sense of way of being is subjective. And I still need to work through that. I need still, still need to work through 
essentially those default thoughts that you're kind of talking about that kind of come up as a result of all of these memories, all these complex ideas that, uh, that come into your brain based on a, a situation or someone reminds you of something or something smells like something that ex you experienced in your past. And uh, having that combination of the self-awareness and then the, the skill enough to, because it is kind of a skill to develop, it's, mm -hmm. you know, to, to be able to take that self-awareness and be able to stop, breathe, figure out an action to do, uh, an action to, to take based on that. So I love basically like the description that you gave of this IM project sounds fantastic because it's like wonderfully simple and complex at the same time. And I feel like that is a way to describe the human brain in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the thing is you have to, you have to make it simple first, right? I mean, you have to, the simple steps uh, of complexity is when you start doing the work on the other right. side. But right. the, the simplicity is the grounding part. You just, when all else fails, just, you know, uh, you know, duck and cover, right? You gotta ground, you gotta ground yourself. Right. Uh, and what's fascinating is that, you know, there's a question I started asking, uh, you know, many years ago was that when I had an emotion that showed that was showing up that I knew I looked around and there's nothing, nobody was saying anything. There was nothing bad going on, but I had this really, this, this ugly feeling show up inside of me. Instead right. of asking, why do I feel this way? I, I started asking, when did I feel this way? Mm -hmm. So I started, I started detaching from it or, or who, um, I remember one, I was walking my dog one day and I was very, very, very angry one day. Um, and, and again, it was exaggerated. The, the anger was so exaggerated. I'm going, okay, this is actually, this is a little dangerous. I, I need to go for a walk. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I took, I did a 45 minute walk around the lake and, and the dog's looking at me wondering if this was a safe place to be at the end of the leash. <laughs> uh, the dog could feel my energy, but I kept asking the same question over and over again. Who is this? Who is this? Because I knew it wasn't me. I knew there's nothing going on. I knew uh, all the work that I'd done. And this emotion was so exaggerated. It's such an exaggerated uh, sense of anger and frustration that I knew it simply had to be so somewhere in my mind. Uh, somebody popped a cork and all the stuff came flooding out. So for 45 minutes, I asked the question, who is this? Who is this? Who is this? And I refused to take that emotional state on because, it, there was, again, it was, not, it was so inconsistent with how I declared I was going to be in this, in this day and age. And 45 minutes later, I got an image of me when I was written around 21. I still can't remember the circumstances, mm -hmm. but simply the, that mantra of asking, who is this? Because I, because I knew that I wasn't going to take it on. I knew that it wasn't me. It was an exaggerated response. Really, uh, this really stopped me from doing something stupid, potentially stupid for one. Right. And two, it actually reinforced that muscle of being mindful. And, and when I realized, when it, you know, I may have not got an answer uh, 100% of where that, emotional, where that emotional flood came from, but what's fascinating is that it just it, it strengthened that muscle. And what I, what I started to realize, and actually probably only just not to, uh, in the, only the last couple of years, that if I'm unwilling, and, and this is from Brene Brown, by the way, if I'm unwilling to allow these emotions to kind of rush through me and just, you know, give them their voice. Um, if I don't like the bad ones, I'll never get to experience the good ones. Right. Right. Because as soon as I try to buffer pain and depression and frustration, I also buffer connection, joy, you know, and all those other beautiful emotions. So I got to be strong enough and centered enough to allow, you know, allow sadness and anger and frustration. They're not bad emotions. Right. Uh, they're, they're just emotions. Right. And, allow them to come through, but then all, all of a sudden, but again, have a grounding element somewhere, somehow in your practice 
allows you to go through them, you know, uh, let you feel the emotions, make a decision, don't try to, bu don't try to buffer them, but uh, use them as, as tools to make you stronger. And for me, that's, that's my emotional weightlifting. Yeah, and, and you know, be willing to embrace those difficulties as something that is uh, that you're willing to investigate. Uh, I think that's what it comes down to, right? Is being curious about your emotions, being curious about what it is that you're going through. I talk about that quite a bit, so uh, uh, that's fantastically on point. Um, not to drown it on any longer. I think uh, I think this is great. I think this has been amazing, and um, I think people at this point are probably curious as to how they can get a hold of you, where they can find you, where they can talk to you and uh, learn all of the things about David Gilks. Let us know. Well, yeah. Well, I'm uh, of course I'm on uh, Facebook as you know, 1 billion other, other people are, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's uh, I have the, I am project. I have a blog on the, I am project. So it's uh, of course, uh, www.biamproject.com. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a blog on there and, and there's a, there's a free course that people, once people go to the website, click on, there's a, there's a free tutorial that goes through some of the ideas around the concept of, of centering, um, being centered and making decisions around spirituality or career or finances. Um, but it's, uh, and of course there's, um, the, uh, the, the, I am project self mastery, um, uh, on Facebook as well. If people want to reach out to that, but uh, again, I'm kind of like yourself, right? It just, for me, it's just, it's, you know, um, the challenges, uh, never really go away. And I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, I think that's something that we need to really be honest with people. We still have some struggles. We, there's still the struggle day to day, but, mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's just, that's just called being human, right? right. Um, we can't wish it away, but we can embrace it. I think, as you said, you know, embrace it and, and be curious about where the emotions are coming from. I realize, especially in North American culture, that it's just, it's important to actually have a voice around it. It's important to, to find people that, that are willing to talk about it, not to justify you being stuck but to strategize how we move forward and be okay with the fact that we're not always okay. That's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, David, for being here. This has been an incredible discussion and uh, hope to have you on again in the future. And uh, I'll definitely go through all the free stuff. We'll have links to all of his stuff in the description. And uh, if you guys want to leave a rating or review for the show, that would be absolutely amazing and share this with your friends because we all need a little bit of recentering in our lives and, David is, is wonderful for helping with that. So thank you again, David, for being on the show and uh, we'll catch you guys. Thank you yeah. So thank you. And we'll catch you guys next time on dopamine. See ya. Hey, you beautiful human. Thanks for listening to dopamine and providing your support for this show. I really, really appreciate it. If you really love this show, leave a review on iTunes and Stitcher to show some love for the podcast. You can also check out cnote.media to check out my work and my courses. But um, with that, we'll catch you next time. See you guys later.